Welcome to the Real Truth Matters podcast. I'm Dan Harder, your host. The RTM podcast is all about showing you how to live in biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect. And now, here's Real Truth Matters founder and director, Michael Durham. Welcome. We're discussing fellowship with God. Specifically, up to this point, we've examined how to have communion with the Almighty. But today, I'd like to shift our focus to maintaining that fellowship. Suppose you've learned how to enter into fellowship with God. You've listened to this podcast, and your communion with God has been helped. How do you maintain it? Of course, the question might seem too simplistic. Most would answer that the way to maintain fellowship is to continue to do the things that produce the fellowship in the first place. And that's true. But there are external as well as internal forces working against your walk with God. These things are constantly striving to disrupt your intimacy with the Lord. And as stated previously in the second season of the podcast— The first epistle of John addresses some of these forces. One of the purposes for the Apostle John to write this epistle was to help his readers know how to walk and maintain communion with the living God, the God of light. John's writing to keep his readers in that same light and thus in fellowship with the light. The first antagonist or enemy of fellowship is personal sin. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, well, we lie and do not practice the truth. John states that a person whose life is characterized as darkness, meaning they do not consistently love or obey God, cannot possibly be in fellowship with God. God and sin cannot cohabit. The two are repulsed by the other. According to John, regardless of a person's profession of faith, if they walk contrary to God, they're not in league with God. On the other hand, John tells us in verse 7 that if a person is in fellowship with God, they will be in the light and live accordingly. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But that truth makes us all wonder, how can any of us have fellowship with God since we all sin and fall short of God's glory? Even though we've been redeemed and sanctified, we're not glorified, and therefore we still have remaining sin and corruption. That alone should disqualify us from nearness to God, but it doesn't stop there. We also act out that corruption. So if sin and God cannot unite, how can we ever hope to have fellowship with God? Well, verse 7 answers that question as well. John continues in verse 7 and says, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's here we need to take a closer look. What John is saying is so fascinating, and it tells us a great deal about our God. 
John says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that while we are in fellowship with God walking with Him, His Son's blood cleanses us from sin. That is present tense, which means that while we are experiencing fellowship with God, Jesus' blood is cleansing us from present sin. Cleansing from present sin must demand that we interpret John saying that at the time of fellowship, sin can and does occur and that it doesn't disrupt fellowship. This is why I said this is so fascinating, and we have something to learn here. The sacred text acknowledges that no Christian in themselves is as holy as God is. You see, our holiness is derived from God and His grace. Therefore, sin is present even as we walk in the light of God. Most of us have been taught that sin disrupts fellowship with God and that sin shuts fellowship down. Since God is holy, He cannot tolerate sin, and therefore, our sin comes between God and us. But John is not saying that. He is saying that present sin does not hinder the fellowship. While fellowship is occurring, God is at work to cleanse us from our sins. Now, how can that be? How can there be ongoing fellowship if you're sinning? And just as importantly, how can you sin if you're in intimate communion with God? If you're walking in the light as He is in the light, doesn't that mean you are not sinning? Evidently, it doesn't mean that. On the contrary, we can still sin while we are in close proximity to God, walking in the light. How can we sin while walking in the light and in fellowship with God? If you stop and think about it, it isn't really all that difficult to understand. There have been numerous times, even in prayer, I've been attacked with blasphemous thoughts, and I'm sure you have too. You think to yourself, where did that come from? So, being in the presence of God doesn't shield us from temptation. On another point, how often after you have enjoyed intimacy with God, you were immediately assaulted with some issue that ensnared you, and you sinned. Plus, let's never forget that no matter how obedient you may be, your flesh pollutes your obedience. Deep and unconscious motives corrupt all that we do. Again, our holiness is not innate. It's not natural or native to us. It's derived from God. And even though regenerated, we are still fallen. We are still depraved, but no longer totally depraved. But how does the blood of Christ work to cleanse these sins that are present amid fellowship with God? The answer is in the next two verses. In verse 8, John knows what most of his readers will think. Like us, they'd find it hard to believe that sin could be committed while in the light. And prevalent at that time, there were false teachers who taught that Christians don't sin or have any sin remaining in them. Thus, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. One of the most valuable lessons I've learned in walking with God is to see myself 
as God sees me, as the Bible describes us. God sees us as his spotless and righteous children, but at the same time, he also sees that we have a remaining corruption of sin in these fallen human natures. It's very important that you see that about yourself as well. We are to strive for perfection or completion, as the Bible commands, but we must remember that because of our flawed nature, we cannot strive for such without the power of God's grace. Everything we touch or do is tainted by the pollution of our flesh. This is what John is reminding us. We need a Savior and a mediator, and we have one in Christ Jesus. It's His blood alone that can work. It's His sacrifice, His work, His performance that makes us acceptable to God so that we can have fellowship with Him. But we must not stop reading at verse 8. We need to continue to verse 9. Verse 8 is like a parenthesis between verses 7 and 9. John was compelled to make this insertion, verse 8, to explain that being in the light doesn't mean that we have no sin. In fact, if you read the two verses together without verse 8, you'll see the cohesion. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this makes sense and shows how the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. John's not teaching that our Lord's blood acts like a shield that keeps God from seeing our sin, nor is the blood automatically applied the moment we sin. It's neither of these things. To sin against the Lord or someone else and respond to it by saying, well, I'm justified, I'm accepted in the beloved, I'm under grace, and therefore spotless before the throne, is simply biblically and morally unacceptable. It's a misuse of the doctrine of justification. Yes, when you sin as a believer, you do not lose your status as one who's justified, but your present sin must be acknowledged and not excused. Let me explain. Let's suppose you got into an argument. You got angry, you lost your temper, and you said something that was mean-spirited. Your self-defense cannot be, well, I'm walking in the light as God is in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses me from all sin. Such a response does not own the sin you just committed. It's acting like the sin never happened. John says you need to own your sin, embrace the responsibility. Therefore, when you take responsibility through confession, you are acknowledging your transgression against the person with whom you lost your temper and you're acknowledging your sin against God. It's then that the cleansing of sin occurs. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is crucial for you to see. It is the confession of sin that activates the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And this answers our earlier question as to how John shows that sin does not disrupt fellowship with God. 
It's not sin that disrupts the Christian's fellowship, but something else. As a boy, when I disobeyed my earthly father, my fellowship with my father did not cease. It only intensified, if you understand my meaning. My dad and I had intense fellowship as he disciplined me. He didn't cut me off, nor did he ignore me. He didn't stop relating to me as my father, nor did he grow silent. Just the opposite happened. He related to me as a loving father who would not let me get by with my transgression. He spoke to me and taught me the folly of my choices. He literally drew near to me as he corrected my thinking and behavior. Our Heavenly Father, ah, he does the exact same thing, only better. He lovingly corrects his children. When you disobey, you are still in the presence of God. You're still in the light, and fellowship continues only in a different way. Nevertheless, it's still fellowship motivated by love. In Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 5, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. So you see, sin does not disrupt fellowship, but intensifies, or to put it another way, redirects the fellowship to a different level or kind of fellowship. It brings loving discipline, which can be as elementary as sensing the grief of the Holy Spirit and his conviction of your sin. Or it can be something more severe, depending on how sensitive you are to his discipline. If you don't quickly acknowledge your wrongdoing, he, he may increase the discipline. The Lord's loving fellowship, called the conviction of sin, is to help you see your sin and to acknowledge it, and that's what is called confession. John uses the word confess, which means more than just saying you're sorry or asking God to forgive you. It means to agree with God. The word John uses for confess is a compound word. Two words put together. The first word is homo, meaning same or identical. The second word is the word logos, which most know means word. Literally, John states that if we say the same word or say the same thing as God about our sin, we will receive his cleansing. It has nothing to do with making an apology. Instead, the emphasis is, do you agree with God? that your fit of angry outburst was evil? Do you agree with God that your sin was to introduce imbalance and injustice into God's created order? That's what every sin does. It introduces more chaos into a world that God intended to be good and orderly. But not only that. Sin is an act of exalting self above God, even as the serpent in the garden tempted Eve. He said she could be her own God if she ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so sin is an act that diminishes God's glory by stating that you, better than God, know what is good. And in effect, it's you saying you're better than God. It's an act of refusing to believe the truth, that there is none good but God. Confession says that you agree with this about your sin. 
So, to confess your sin is to think and feel as God does about not just sin, but your sin. Now, none of us can think and feel to the same degree as the Lord, so therefore we can say, verse 9 means that to your capacity, you think and feel as God does about your sin. And if you do so, your sin is immediately cleansed and unrighteousness is removed. Fellowship can continue, and you don't cease to walk in the light with God. But what if you refuse to acknowledge your sin against the person with whom you disagreed? Well, the longer you refuse the discipline of the Lord, the less you experience the chastening of the Lord. It's not that God ceases to deal with you. Oh, no. It's your ability to perceive Him and sense Him that diminishes until finally the presence of God seems to you absence and fellowship ceases. Therefore, it's not sin that disrupts fellowship with God and His children, but unconfessed sin that does. The Lord has provided the remedy for our sin. He knows we will sin. Therefore, it's not sin that disrupts fellowship with God and with His children, but unconfessed sin that does. The Lord has provided the remedy for our sin. You see, He knows we will sin. Therefore, He's provided the answer. It's not the sin itself that diminishes our ability to perceive God and walk with Him. Oh, no. Instead, it's our stubbornness and refusal to own and take responsibility for our sin that is the disruptor. In our next episode, we will explore why God requires this confession and with the question, aren't Christians already forgiven of all their sins, past, present, and future, at the moment of faith in Christ? Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please check out our website, realtruthmatters.com. That's realtruthmatters, all one word, dot com, for all our resources. And if you would, please help us to get the word out that the podcast has resumed and share it with family and friends. This podcast is all about biblical spirituality, helping you to see how truth intersects with life and is the basis of experiencing the fellowship of God. On behalf of all of us here at Real Truth Matters, thank you for listening today. And may the Lord bless you with His love in a real and tangible way. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Truth Matters podcast. I hope you can see that Christianity is profoundly experiential, but always based on the objective truth of Scripture. If you have questions or comments, please send them to our email address, web at realtruthmatters.com. That's web at realtruthmatters.com. Real Truth Matters podcast, dedicated to biblical spirituality, demonstrating where the Bible and real life intersect.